0: 自動でお風呂の線は… Hello. Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Anna Tushinsky and I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and this week we are with Ed Brook-Hitching, our fellow QI elf, who has just written a new book, right?
1: Yes, it's called uh, The Golden Atlas, uh, History of Exploration. Um, just filled with that kind of sort of quirky QI style facts.
0: Yes, it is a really beautiful looking book full of amazing looking kind of maps and little factoids about exploration. Get it now. Go to Ed's Twitter feed or any bookshop. Or after the show. After the show, (laughs) sorry. Get it in you know, however long it takes to listen to this. Uh, (laughs) It's available in any bookshop or online. And for now, once again we're gathered here with our four favourite facts from the last seven days in no particular order. Here we go. Starting with you, Ed.
1: So my fact is the most experienced sailor aboard Captain Cook's first voyage was a goat. Mm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, she she previously sailed around the world. Um,
0: when, so when you say she was experienced, she didn't do any sailing. Presumably, she was just think, on milk provision.
1: Yeah, I don't think she was too like nifty with the ropes. If that's <laughs> what you mean. But mm. but yeah, she'd um, she'd survived like a, a global like a circumnavigation. That you know, I think she'd survived three shipwrecks as well. Wow, Um, that's pretty amazing. All for her milk, so she was, yeah, a really impressive. What was she called? Uh, She didn't have a name, but she's known as the well-travelled goat.
0: (laughs) That is the first animal to travel around the world. And in fact, wasn't she the first female to travel around the world? Yeah. And they didn't even give her a name.
2: They named her the well-travelled, and then they put her species name at the (laughs) end. What's wrong
0: with that? Yeah.
2: but They they gave her
1: some jewellery. Like, when she returned, safe and sound, she went to live in (laughs) Marlend, and they gave her a a, a silver collar... (laughs) <laughs> um, she was quite a fancy goat. Um, and then when she died, Dr. Johnson wrote her epitaph.
3: Do you think they brought her on because she was so experienced, as well as her milk stuff? Like, because you could get milk from any goat, but this is a goat
2: that's been on two different it's expeditions. proven, yeah. She's probably there like a cigarette in her hand. Like, no, no worries at all. <laughs> but I guess, well, she could have been thought of as a lucky goat if she'd survived chipwrecks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, so that's something. Captain Cook actually once did chase a goat across an entire island. <laughs> <laughs> is true. Was it a big island? Oh, I don't know. It was a stolen goat though. Was it? So he Captain Cook was making these voyages around the world, wasn't he? And the first one was scientific, and the other two were discovering, you know, botanical things and land masses. And that frequently things got nicked by the people he encountered, the aboriginals who he was meeting for the first time, because there wasn't the same sense of property rights and ownership and things like that. Mm. And some things he said, no, we should just let it go. This doesn't matter. And then but other times when it was an important thing for the mission, he was really a stickler for getting it back. Mm. And he wanted the goat back because the third voyage, one of the missions was to introduce European livestock. So pairs of European livestock. Mm -hmm. So if you've lost one goat, it's very, very hard to get goat breeding.
0: I can't remember they didn't bring a spare, though. Because you'd you'd assume that a couple might go. I would have brought five or six, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, if we can just stock six ships worth of stuff, then that's fine. I think it was quite crowded for space on these ships, Anna. (laughs) <laughs> Fair enough. You have been the worst on Noah's Ark. Why have you only got two of them? Yeah. <laughs> what
4: what we bring one 20 stolen? of them.
0: <laughs> what if these two don't fancy each other?
1: <laughs> well, a lot of room on the ship would have been taken up with sauerkraut. They brought several tonnes of sauerkraut because Captain Cook was one of the first to realise that scurvy um, could be treated with like vitamins. Mm-hmm. And he didn't quite understand why. Um, but he had to convince no one likes sauerkraut. So the way that he convinced his crew to eat it was to serve his officers like in a really fancy uh, way. Oh. And so the crew would get jealous and think, oh, this must be something worth
4: wow. oh, Like down.
2: a Nouvelle Cuisine
1: sauerkraut. Yeah, exactly. Sort of a nice
0: sort of white
2: tablecloth. <laughs>
1: just, a, just a dump load of sauerkraut. That's really clever.
0: Um, did you know that one of his expeditions, he had his ostensible mission and then his secret mission. So this is his 1768 expedition when he was officially going to Tahiti. He was supposed to observe the transit of Venus across the face of the sun and do a bunch of other scientific stuff. But the British government told him, do this, but here's a sealed envelope. And when you've done that, you're allowed to open this sealed envelope. And that contains the secret information for what wow. you're actually supposed to do. It's like Taskmaster.
4: <laughs> it was
0: such an extreme long episode of Taskmaster. And yeah, he opened the envelope when he'd done his Tahiti business. And it said, please find the great southern continent. Everyone was convinced there was a big continent in down in wow. the South Pole. And they were right obviously but he tried to find it and failed
1: well, they knew yeah they knew something was there and it was all based on sort of like sightings of little islands and maybe ice flows yeah but yeah on the second voyage they passed cook and his men passed within 70 miles of antarctica and, and didn't didn't find it wow so frustrating.
0: Yeah, so Look, how do we know do they leave footprints in the sea
1: what of where they went? Yeah, no, they had maps. They where oh they
0: yeah, went. they were writing it all down. That's the whole point Sorry. of this book
2: is oh <laughs> it's full of maps. <laughs> a question to ask a man who's written a lot of atlases <laughs> and maps. And
0: how do we know where any of these people went? Footprints in the, make the sea.
2: Footprints in the sea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I've been reading about the ship itself, the Endeavour. Mm, mm. This is a very oh, famous yeah. ship, but it was so it was such an unglamorous ship. So it was a coal carrying ship, which is not you know very glam. It wasn't very fast. It could only go about six or seven knots nautical miles an hour and, um, but nonetheless it was incredibly hardy because it was designed to carry coal around and it was built to last so it um, did all these voyages it hit the Great Barrier Reef once he just mm. bumped into the Great Barrier Reef <laughs> <laughs> and it tore a hole in the side of the ship and they had to dump six cannon overboard immediately so it wow. wouldn't sink it would probably damaged the coral as well Oh yeah, but
3: who cares, I it's mean, coral. Like, I was just thinking that's effectively a footprint of the sea, isn't it? <gasps> yes. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs>
0: that's how we know.
2: Sorry, I didn't mean that about who cares, it's coral. I care a lot <laughs> about the Great
4: Barrier <laughs>
0: Reef. Sorry, I, <laughs> oh,
2: I get it. But scientists spent 200 years trying to find the cannon that he ditched overboard. And they knew that he'd been around there because they left charts and maps saying where they'd been. But no one could actually find the exact cannon until 1969, when they went there with a magnetometer looking for the iron of the cannons. Oh, Oh, Testing for magnetism in the barrier reef, yeah.
0: Very clever. We found them. Well, because we also recently, found, quite recently, found the Endeavour itself, didn't we? So the Endeavour was actually two ships in a way, because he
4: <laughs>
0: used it, uh, 17, you 1770s, know, 1760s, 1770s, he used it. And then it was renamed and repurposed. It became the Lord Sandwich. And it took place in the Battle of Brooklyn in 1776. It's one of the largest ships used there. And we only found out in the 1990s that that was the same ship. So wow. I find uh, that really weird yeah. that ships are fully repurposed. But
2: Lord, it was called the Lord Sandwich. Captain Cook was killed on the Sandwich Islands.
0: Mm. it all comes full circle like the world he travelled around
3: oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah he was um, what happened to him he was uh, He was baked was he well, or put like in a because, big pot yeah, or something there's
1: a big popular myth that he was eaten wasn't there mm. but yeah he, he wasn't eaten he was just baked so his bones could be removed and treated respectfully
3: Okay, so it's a big honour to be baked <laughs> I don't think I'd like to watch the Sandwich Islands version of the Great Sandwich Island Bake Off <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, he was chopped up into little bits as well, wasn't he? Yeah. So they this is when um, he arrived on Hawaii with his crew and they thought he was a god for a while. They thought the whole crew were gods um, because they were in the middle of their big festival at the time, worshipping gods. And then one of their crew died, which really screwed things up for them because they thought they were immortal. And then it <sighs> turned out they weren't immortal. And so relationships went a bit sour. Wow. And then he sailed away and then rough seas swept him back and they got into fights and they ended up killing him. But the um, the Hawaiians came and delivered all his bones in a sack, didn't they? I think one of his um, compatriots said.
2: There's another weird link. You said that Dr. Johnson wrote the epitaph for the goat, yeah. the well-traveled goat. So this was after one of Captain Cook's missions. He brought back a kangaroo. They discovered so much new stuff. Um, they brought back 30,000 botanical species, 250 new fish, and five mammals, including a kangaroo. And... This is a story of a dinner in 1773 where Dr. Johnson was so excited that Captain Cook had discovered a kangaroo that he did an impression of it for all the other guests, despite the fact he'd never seen one. Okay, so here's the account. He stood erect, put out his hands like feelers. This is Dr. Johnson. He put out his hands like feelers and gathering up the tails of his huge brown coat so as to resemble the pouch of the animal, made two or three vigorous bounds across the room.
3: What? I mean, considering he's never seen one before, that does sound like a kangaroo, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's
0: perfect. I would have been fooled.
4: <laughs>
3: uh, why do we keep calling him Captain Cook when he wasn't a captain? Ooh. Why do yeah. we call him
0: Captain Cook when he wasn't a captain? I don't know.
3: He wasn't a cook either. <laughs>
0: that man's a
4: fraud. <laughs> I assumed he
3: was a naval captain. He was a lieutenant when he was on Endeavour. Uh, and then when he came back to England, he was given the rank of commander. And then it, by 1775, he became a post captain, which was even better than a captain, right. but he was never actually a captain.
2: That's so funny.
0: Yeah. yeah. So he just leapfrogged captaincy.
3: Yeah, he was just, yeah, he didn't even need to be a captain, but we still call him Captain Cook. It
0: alliterates, doesn't it? That's the thing. Yeah.
3: You're right. Mm. Could have been Corporal Cook.
2: Commander Cook. Yeah. He was yeah. a commander. Yeah. Is yeah, a commander true. someone who's a captain of two ships, more than one ship? I think you are. If you. If you're a captain of one ship, but you also have another ship in, under your command, mm. you're then a commander.
3: So it's kind of natural to call someone captain even though they're a commander.
2: I think so. Right. I think if someone said, Where's the captain? they'd say, Oh, we don't have a captain.
4: They'd say, the captain?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, a common misconception. In a naval
2: emergency. <laughs>
0: uh, pets on naval pets? Hmm. So naval pets were a big deal. So much so that there was a sailor's zoo in the 19th century. It was set up in Portsmouth in 1893. And by 1935, they had lions and various marsupials and birds in aviaries. And it was because people were always taking pets.
3: So you mean that sailors had pet lions on their boats? Well, it seems
0: weird. It seems like it expanded this naval zoo to incorporate things that possibly hadn't accompanied the sailors. But how did they get there, James?
2: How did they, yeah, they couldn't fly in those days. There was
0: no Eurotunnel. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they did find a polar bear, some British sailors, and they just took it onto their ship. Yeah. And they took it to yeah. Whale Island. Yeah. They rescued it. It was a cub when they rescued it, and it was on some ice off Greenland, and they made it the ship's mascot and called it Barbara. Do you think <laughs> <laughs> it's a fairly funny name for a polar bear?
0: Alright, it's time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that for 150 years, Shakespeare's play The Tragedy of King Lear had a happy ending.
3: Did they still call it The Tragedy of?
0: No, they didn't. They, well. they slightly tweaked the title because they thought it might not work. So this is I read this in the conversation and I can't believe I didn't know it. But basically, people didn't like the fact that King Lear had a sad ending, which, spoiler alert, it does have a really, <laughs> really sad ending. It's a tragedy. So it was sort of adapted by this writer called Nahum Tate in 1681. And he rewrote it and he called it the historical play of King Lear and his three daughters to remove the awkward word tragedy. And yeah, at the end, Cordelia um, saves King Lear. He puts her on the throne. There's a little love affair between her and you remember Edgar and King Lear, who's kind of another nice guy. But I don't think there's any flirting with Cordelia and Edgar in the in the original and, right. um, yeah, everyone lives happily ever after.
2: So in the original, Lear dies, Cordelia dies. Everyone dies. Everyone Almost dies. Almost everyone. Yeah. There's a tiny all closing speech. We yeah. all die, Abdi. Uh, yeah, this all oh, right. It's a very concertina <laughs> series of deaths, let's put it that way. It's um, a classic
0: Shakespeare tragedy, isn't it, where within the space of about... Five minutes, about yeah. 12 people drop dead one after the it's other. A
3: very high body count. Do you think he just gets to the end and he's like, oh, I've only got a 100 words left. <laughs> I'm just going to have to kill everyone.
0: He's not doing an essay, James. I don't think he had a word count. <laughs> oh, I've gone way over.
2: This is the weird thing. The original that Shakespeare borrowed from was not a tragedy. I mean, it didn't have this incredibly tragic ending where everyone dies. So... The rewritten version that you're talking about, Anna, was kind of a return to the previous edition. There yeah. was an ancient version called... There's a thing called Holinshed's Chronicles, which has a lot of stories of kings. And Shakespeare got a load of plots from that. Mm. But King Lear, Shakespeare's version, was in 1606. And it drew heavily on a play from 1594... That's crazy, isn't it? The play was yeah. called The True Chronicle History of the Life and Death of King Lear and His Three yeah. Daughters. But That guy's still going to be alive, probably. Yeah, he's, he's still alive. Off. Okay. I mean, that is like remaking Die Hard. That was about 30 years ago. This is about half the time from Die Hard till now. Yeah, but Die Hard 2 was much closer than that. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't a remake by don't think, people. Did the
0: was... Die Hard makers sue the makers of Die Hard 2 for stealing their idea?
3: Actually, what about um, Mary Poppins? They're about to redo that, aren't they?
2: Or maybe they just have. That's true. That's controversial. And that was about 50 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So people are saying that's too soon.
0: So, so maybe this is why he had to kill off all the characters, so that it wasn't too close to the original that he could be
3: maybe. sued. Do you think you can do that? Just take any other, <laughs> any of the show, any other movie, and make it exactly the same. But at the end, just kill off all the characters.
2: <laughs> yeah. What's a good film from two thousand? The early two thousands. Um, I think we should
0: just rewrite all ten series of Friends. Last episode, everyone dies. Everyone dies. Do you know the reason why Nahum Tate changed the ending? Um, because they were all little um, sunflowers. No, what is it? What's it called? Snowflakes. <laughs>
2: Sunflowers. <laughs> That's what we are in the
3: summer. <laughs> There's snowflakes in the winter.
0: Exactly. Sunflowers. sunflowers. Sun, they're yeah. all little sunflowers slash snowflakes, aren't they?
2: Kind of, but I think it's because the play is about a king being usurped. Oh. So, And when it, when Nathan Tate was writing, it was the 1680s, which is, you know, Charles II is on the throne. He's a bit sore about his father being executed and yeah. usurped. So Restoration Theatre was quite careful with various themes like that.
3: Wow. Yeah. And they didn't they stop doing King Lear in George III's time?
2: Oh, really? Uh, because
3: he was mentally ill. Yeah, Let's put it that way. Um, but he read King Lear and had a bout of mental illness after really? having read King Lear. Really? Yeah. And they put him in a straitjacket and tied him down. And he was described as agitated and confused. And he ended up in bed for weeks afterwards because he'd read King Lear. And I don't know, had wow. thought that it was to do with him.
0: Wow. Maybe it is a dangerous book. Samuel Johnson didn't like it, even though he published one of those several books. No kangaroos in it. it. <laughs>
4: kangaroos. Oh,
1: he didn't do an impression of like, Mad King as well. <laughs> um,
0: no, he rewrote the whole thing with only kangaroos as characters. <laughs> this is.
2: I, I genuinely have a fact about that. Oh my god! In 2014, there was an English playwright who staged a version of King Lear called King Lear with sheep which features (laughs) one human character and then about nine sheep and he's trying to direct a king the the character in the play is trying to direct King Lear with sheep and they disobey him and he goes mad and starts acting out the narrative himself and she said I wanted to use the idea of non-cooperative actors to explore the themes of King Lear because there's a big scene where Cordelia doesn't do anything when she's told to and she also said it's cheaper than paying actual actors. <laughs>
3: OK, I've got a fact about that, <laughs> which is kind of linked, which is that Nahum Tate, um, as well as doing this um, play, he also wrote the the song While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks, wow. Wow. which is the earliest English carol written that we're still singing the original words of.
0: So he would have loved this new yeah. adaptation. <laughs> I should just say, Samuel to finish off the Samuel Johnson thing, before mm-hmm. the sheep... Um, redirected us, he said that King Lear really troubled him so it caused him extreme discomfort and even though he published this edition in 1765, he found the death of Cordelia so upsetting that he never ever read it again. He refused to read it again unless his editor was literally like you have to look at these pages to work out what we're going to cut because um, he said it was so traumatic. Wow. They were really, they, they Victorians found Shakespeare very uh, horrible. We, they rewrote a lot of them.
1: I mean, what it made me think of. You're talking about like sensitivity to kings being overthrown. Uh, did you know, you know the movie Doctor Strange. Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it had. An, they filmed uh, an alternate ending. Oh. so it ends yeah, yeah. with a big sort of uh, Doctor Strange of getting out of his wheelchair and miraculously walking, and then the world blows up. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there was uh, a filmed custard pie fight in the water <laughs> and there are photos of it you can google it and you can see um, Peter Sellers and everyone throwing cream pies at each other that's amazing yeah that that's sounds great cool. yeah. and he effectively went
2: with the Shakespeare ending didn't he where everyone dies yeah Oh yeah really um, yeah. I did a little work on Nahum Tate oh yeah mm-hmm. you know his father was called Faithful Teat <laughs> <laughs>
3: Wow, God. I mean, that's a strong name, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Faithful Teat <laughs> That's also the name of one of the goats that went round the rabble- <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: And then I guess he changed his name. He didn't want to be called Teat anymore. So Nahum Tate must have changed it. But he was a big deal. He was poet laureate, was yeah, he? Shepher- Nahum Tate was as well, I think. Oh, sorry, that's what I mean. All Nahum right. Tate was. Yeah. Um, while shepherds watched their flocks by night, for the next century, it was the only carol that was allowed in Church of England ceremonies or services Really, they hated carols but Wait, this was just religious enough to kind of pass master
0: but at Christmas would you do the thing where you sing eight carols but you just had to sing while shepherds watch their vlogs by night eight times yeah like a carol service would be just the same thing all the time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you'll now turn your pages to <laughs> carol number five <laughs> while shepherds watched
3: and the only change that's been made over the last 300 years, according to Wikipedia, this is, um, the only change that's been made has been changing the word from whilst to while. Mm-hmm. So from whilst wow. to shepherds. And the other changes where they changed it to while shepherds washed their socks. <laughs> that was the other one, of course, but.
0: <laughs> that was the original. <laughs> um, Titus Andronicus was also changed. Um, in Titus Andronicus in 1850 there's um, there's this big rape scene where a woman has her tongue cut out and her hands cut off and it's to prevent her spilling the names of her attackers and that was all completely edited Uh, there was a version of Hamlet where Ophelia dies from accidental drowning because it was thought to be too upsetting that it was suicide Mm -hmm. it was so we you know I think people are often saying that we're a bit too pathetic now a bit too snowflakey it was
3: um, Bowdler who um, did the accidental
2: drowning wasn't it
0: from,
3: from
2: whom we get Baudelaire, right? there's a really cool, like, a fan theory about him. It's just a theory, actually. I don't know why about I say Baudelaire. It. Yeah. So he published this thing called The Family Shakespeare because he was saying this is the thing that all families can read together. So if you're reading out to your children, you don't want to read a, a rape scene where someone's got their, the, you know, tongue cut out and hands cut off, oh. which is kind of reasonable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. There's also lots of naughty stuff. You know, there are characters who are prostitutes and, there are, and all that had to go. But there's a theory that it, was, it wasn't the Reverend Thomas Bowdler who did most of the cutting. It was his sister. Hmm. She did most of the cutting and she produced the first version. But Bowdler claimed to have written it so that his sister didn't have to publicly admit that she had understood the rude <laughs> oh. bits.
3: <laughs> or read them. That's so funny. Maybe. Wow. Um, when he was 40, just over 40, Baudelaire married a lady called Elizabeth Frevenon, and it was such a bad marriage that they split up quite quickly, and nobody in the family was ever allowed to mention Elizabeth's name ever again. So his whole life was baudelaire wow. basically.
0: Wow! That's, That's great. Cool, isn't it? God, he was very free and easy with editing, basically, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> he edited his life out of yeah. life. <laughs> Queen Victoria said she'd never had the courage to see The Merry Wives of Windsor. She wrote to her daughter, uh, who was a Shakespeare fan. She never had the courage to see it because she'd always been told how very coarse it was. And um,
2: It's very boring.
3: I've, I've never read or seen that one.
2: There's a th- no. People say that he wrote it in nine days and I'll be honest, I'm staggered. It took him that long to write that <laughs> play. It's, it's the, the least good I've ever read.
0: Maybe she just said it was really dull but didn't want to upset <laughs> Shakespeare fans. They so said, I've heard it's too rude. Yeah, she didn't. she found him a bit too coarse for her taste generally.
3: There have been 24 operas based on Romeo and Juliet. Wow. Uh, the earliest is called Romeo and Julie, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite cool, and that has a happy ending. And also, <laughs> if you um, go on fanfic.com and look for some fan fiction on Romeo and Juliet, there is a thing called Romeo and Juliet Happy Ending. And at the end, it's just it's like a final scene of Romeo and Juliet, and it says, "Days become days, and years become years, and one day, Friar Lawrence gets a letter saying that Juliet had died in her sleep, and later that year, he gets the same letter from the Montagues that Romeo's died in his sleep. That's a nice ending, isn't it?
2: But he's he's substantially older than both those characters, isn't (laughs) he? So they've still died quite young. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, I've just got one more thing about um, modern day about modern-day kind of censorship and prudishness, so did you see that Cambridge University put trigger warnings on lots of its Shakespeare lectures Mm. and people got really exercised about
3: this? Really? Yeah. Just for like sunflowers who couldn't really deal with (laughs) (laughs) it.
4: Sunflowers,
0: yeah. Um, So I think this is why this conversation article came out. It was saying, don't worry, people have always done this. But if you take English literature at Cambridge, then if you go to a lecture, for instance, on Titus Andronicus or in fact on Euripides the Bacchae, that's another one that has them, then you get a little, one of those exclamation marks in a red triangle at the end of the lecture, which is to say this might contain some traumatic themes. Oh, my God. Yeah. If uh-huh.
3: you have
2: been troubled by any of the themes in Titus Andronicus. <laughs> yeah. you, you've had a rough old life, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that is tough. If you, if your sons have been baked in a pie.
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on to fact number three, and that is Andy's fact.
2: My fact is that some advertisers have started putting single pixels on mobile phone ads, so you think it's dust, try to wipe it off and accidentally click on the advert. <laughs> it is
1: genius. That
2: is so good. Yeah. So it's, I've only found one advertiser that's done this. There's a great article on Medium called 52 Things I Learned This Year, and this is one of the 52 things.
3: But it doesn't really work, right? I read another article, I think it was. I'm not sure where, where I read this, but um, basically they said, if you get paid for every time someone taps on it, Then it works. But if you're trying to get actual sales, then it pisses people off so much that people end up not buying stuff.
2: I guess they must be thinking the product is so good that someone will end up buying it.
0: (laughs) And what was the product?
2: uh, Oh, I can't remember, I'm afraid. I do know another one who's done a really similar thing. There's a Chinese trainer manufacturer, and they've put a thing that looks like a hair across their advert. And you swipe to get rid of the hair and you go straight to their website. Yeah. Um, But they
3: got banned from Instagram, didn't they? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Apparently, it violated Instagram's policies and was removed. And Instagram shut down the entire brand's account. Wow. Wow. Because of
0: that. Yeah. I can't believe it's not counterproductive. Like you say, it's just so irritating. There was a study a few years ago that found that 50% of ad clicks on phones are accidental. And I don't understand. I'm surprised it's that low. I don't think I've ever intentionally clicked on one.
3: You're phone is so smashed up that yeah. if there was something that looked a bit like a hair, you would never see it.
0: No, absolutely not. <laughs> this, this bit would not work on me at all.
1: The thing it reminded me of is, and I was desperately looking for like a source for it, but it's something my American grandmother told me. And I've heard it mentioned on an American podcast as well, that in the old days when you were making a telephone call and you call into the exchange, you, ha- you could choose which company would carry your call, so which one would get your money, right? Really? Oh, wow! So, and, but most people, the most common answer was, I, you know, I don't care, whatever, whichever one, you choose. And so people started phone companies called, I don't care, it doesn't matter, whatever you want, and they'd rake <laughs> in way. this sort of extra That's incredible. Income. Yeah, it's genius. Do you know, on the internet, if
3: you click on a naughty site, you might get a whole load of pop-ups Right. Loads right, and loads yeah, of pop-up yeah, yeah. things.
2: Oh, you do know that. You know what? I've read about <laughs> it in <laughs> my Pornographer's Digest.
3: Yeah. They're called uh, pornados or porn storms. Oh. <laughs> and this is a phrase coined by John C. Dvorak, okay. uh, who is the nephew of the guy who invented the Dvorak keyboard, oh,
0: which no. is like a QWERTY
3: oh. keyboard, but it's supposed to be slightly better than a QWERTY keyboard.
0: That's a step down, isn't it? In father-son <laughs> invention terms. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, Dvorak, his, he writes a lot about um, computers and he said that the reason Apple's uh, Mac, Macintosh computer would not be successful is because it uses a pointing device called a mouse. And there is no evidence that people want to use these things. <laughs> and then he wrote about Steve Jobs. Maybe when the smoke clears, we will have heard the last of Steve Jobs as guru, seer, visionary. He'll go the way of the pet rock electric carving Silly Putty, Tiny Tim, and the Three-Tone Paint Chop
0: that's a really rough on Tiny well, Tim. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a load of not very good products, and then one of the most heartrending characters in all literature.
0: That's so mean. I'm squashed up next to Silly Putty.
3: <laughs> I can only imagine maybe Tiny Tim is something else in America, right? I guess so.
2: Probably like a failed product or something. But like you know, Possibly. it'll go the way of sea monkeys, nasal hair trimmers, and Jude the Obscure. <laughs> it's such a weird burn. <laughs>
0: Um, Do you know why pop-up ads were originally um, conceived? No. It was because advertisers didn't want to be associated with dodgy website content. So it's kind of the opposite of problems that websites have now, where sometimes Mm. dodgy adverts pop up on them. Uh, So they were invented by a guy called Mr. Zuckerman in the 1990s. And it was because a car company got upset because it bought a banner advert on a page that happened to be about anal sex, which they thought wasn't um, on brand for their car company. (laughs) It's
3: Unlikely to be on brand for any car company. Well,
0: exactly. There's so little overlap there, and so he made pop-up ads to kind of distinguish them from each other. And he says, yeah, "The but what's wrong with this? It? <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's just a kind of Wait.
4: sex."
0: I know. But it's the way you say
2: a page that happened to be about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> By chance, it was an anal sex theme page. Gosh.
2: They exist, Andy. Oh, I suppose so. They're out there. Hang on. The the car adverts were popping up on this. Themed page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There was all sorts of things popping up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They weren't up for it. so he designed them this pop-up thing, which is supposed to say, look, this pop-up has nothing to do with the content of this web page. But he's really apologised for it now. He says he feels terribly guilty because he knows that pop-ups are the most annoying thing Mm -hmm. on the internet. But his intentions were good. He didn't want cars to be associated with (laughs) sexual positions. So other stupid creative ways of advertising. (laughs) Um, Domino's this year advertised in potholes. So this is a thing where they've now got a sideline in fixing potholes on roads across America, and you can actually request that they come and fix your pothole if you're in America. And I, th- I think it's an advertising campaign, otherwise they're just really good guys, but it's called, um, <laughs> it's called Paving for Pizza, and they partner with various like, local administrations and say, hey, have you got any potholes that need doing? And they send out their pizza delivery guys who do a sideline in kind of tarmac filling, and then they fill in the potholes, and then they fill in the pothole with a little Domino's Pizza with logo. Oh, sorry. It's, really, okay. yeah. it's not very long lasting at all. <laughs>
3: wow. That's quite good, isn't it? That's a good idea. So they get their logo on the road. But everyone gets flat roads, so everyone's a winner. Wow. Apart from the other pizza manufacturers. Yeah. Yeah. Papa John is furious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The justification was that potholes damage pizzas, so they're actually saving the pizzas, because on the way, they'll get bumped up and down. They actually put a GoPro inside a pizza box and (laughs) had people watch the traumatic journey they have to go through to make it to their destination. Wow. Yeah. At KFC advertises on fire hydrants. Uh, they did this, I think, a couple of years ago. They'll pay people to let them fix their fire hydrants if they're broken. They did this in Indianapolis. So they paid, I think, $5,000 to say, can we fix your fire hydrant? And the town was like, yeah, great. And then they sort of put some KFC advertising on top of it.
2: But they do also fill up the fire hydrant with chicken. Which <laughs> yeah. is, but then all the fires smell delicious. <laughs> uh,
0: you don't mind burning to a crisp with a delicious smell of KFC all around you. you. <laughs> Okay, on to our final fact of the week, and that is James's facts.
3: Okay, my fact this week is that one of the most popular celebrities in London in 1860 in 1860, was
1: an oyster who could whistle. <laughs> I mean, one of the most popular. It's so exciting. <laughs> also, who could whistle? Not that good. It was a person. Well, <laughs> once,
0: once
3: you whistle, you get personhood, right. I think. I think so. Um, <laughs> it didn't have a name, a bit like that goat, actually. Oh. Yeah, thinking about it. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I mean, what is the most popular I'm saying it's the most popular because a lot of people went to see it, yeah, it was in panto
4: so
3: <laughs> that's quite popular, uh, but this is a guy called George. P-E-A-R-K-E-S and he was an oysterman and a dealer in spruce ginger beer and British wines. So he's a wine seller and an oyster seller and he was sleeping in his house and he was kept awake every night by this whistling. (laughs) No, he wasn't. He really was. He really was. And so he thought that it was a policeman who was walking past every day (laughs) whistling. (laughs) So anyway, so um, the whistling got louder and louder and then eventually he thought he was being burgled, he said presumably by a whistling burglar (laughs) i don't know why a burglar would whistle but yeah he did that and eventually he went downstairs with a pistol to get this burglar and he found out that the source of the sound was one of his oysters and it seems that what might have happened is that the oyster had a little hole in it and whenever it was filtering food so moving the water backwards and forwards it was making a whistling sound right okay and as soon as this became well-known, it was mentioned in Punch and a few other uh, things, suddenly everyone came round and wanted to see this oyster that could whistle. <laughs> uh, and even William Makepeace Thackeray went to see it and Whoa! wrote about it. Uh, and he said that he was there when an American gentleman declared that the oyster could not hold a candle to one he knew of in Massachusetts that could whistle Yankee Doodle from beginning to end. No, it could. I don't not. think that one's true. <laughs> nice. But there is definitely was this oyster in 1860, and it was famous, and it was in London, and it could whistle. That's amazing. Wow. It's mad. Sorry,
2: I've been reading a book by Thackeray, so the idea of this literary hero going to see the whistling oyster on his day <laughs> off is incredible.
0: <laughs> Can you see the influence of the Whistling Oyster on the kind of plot and themes Very of Vanity much. Fair?
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine having that guy working as your PR man because that is an unbelievable PR trick to claim you got a Whistling Oyster, and managed to get half of London to come and see it. It's amazing. Why they? Why? How boring was life?
3: Life was hard. Yeah, but Whist. Okay. I mean, if there was a this was in Covent Garden, right, which is mm. where we are now. Mm. If there was a hundred meters away, there was a Whistling Oyster, which you'd read about in a magazine. Are you telling me as a QI researcher that you wouldn't be curious enough to go and see
0: it? I do get pretty desperate to get away from you. I might go and see it. I don't, did people pay?
3: They didn't pay. <laughs> Only with their time. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't pay, but it meant that he got people into his shop. Uh, And then the Oyster, like I said, made a cameo appearance in a pantomime staged at Drury Lane in 1860. That's incredible.
0: Who did he play? Dick Whittington?
3: (laughs) He mostly played some whistling
4: character
2: (laughs) (laughs) with a shell. It would be really funny, though, to dress the Oyster
0: up in a big costume, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. Put a little bindle over his shoulder. Yeah. (laughs) In the 1830s, just on paying for attractions, in the 1830s, you could pay a shilling to see a vase. Which.
3: Could it even whistle?
0: Uh, if it didn't even whistle. Oh, maybe man. if you blew into it the right way. It was the Royal Clarence vase. Uh, it was made for King George the Fourth. Took workers three years, which is too long to make one vase. <laughs> and if you bet even go and see it?
2: Wow! wow. Didn't what even have
0: flowers in it. What was on it? Uh, don't don't know. It was kind of go- It was made partly of gold and glass and enamel. I remember the I paid.
3: I paid twenty quid to go and see Damien Hurst's skull, which had diamonds on it. That's not much worse than that, is it?
0: No, you're right. You're a you're dupe.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another famous oyster. <laughs> oh, God. This is from the Sailor's Magazine of 1840, um, which I've not checked how uh, reliable it is in general. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they say. There's a gentleman from Christchurch in Salisbury who keeps a pet oyster of the largest and finest breed. It has proved itself an excellent mouser. Having already killed <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. having already killed five mice by crushing the heads of such as tempted by it as a meal, um, they had the temerity to intrude their noses within his bivalvular clutches, and then he crushed their heads. <laughs> So that's not true, is
2: it?
0: So <laughs> you haven't checked
2: the, What was it, the Sailors' <laughs> Newsletter, Sailors'
3: Magazine, sailor's Of 1840? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound very true, does it?
0: Yeah, I think you have checked it and you found it to be wanting <laughs> in <laughs> terms of truthfulness. <laughs>
2: um, New Orleans, hmm. uh, there used to be an act. Just I was trying to find things about celebrities and oysters. Yeah. So there used to be an act in New Orleans. Um, this is actually a lady who was Elvis Presley's cousin. She was called Kitty West. And she had an act called Evangeline the Oyster Girl in the 1940s, uh, which was a striptease which began in an enormous and slowly opening oyster shell.
3: Oh, wow. so like that? Is it Botticelli painting where she's inside a huge clam?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Venus of exactly like that.
0: But how did she make the shell open? Because you have to get professional shuckers to be able to open an oyster <laughs> shell. I think there's a professional
2: so, shucker by the side, <laughs>
1: so, a massive
2: yeah. lever.
4: It'd
1: be funny if the act was a slowly closing oyster shell. <laughs> I was looking for um, like entertainers like the oyster that we might have found around Covent Garden. Yep. And there's, uh, you could have seen in 1830 Spelterini and his living ass. Um, <laughs> and there's a poster of him and he looks incredible. So what he did is he had a ladder in his teeth and at the top of a ladder was a donkey. <gasps> and in his two hands, he held 56-pound weights. So he was balancing a donkey on the top of a ladder held in his mouth.
2: Wow. wow. I'm kind of impressed by the donkey as well, being able to stay at the top of a ladder. Yeah, it was a pretty chilled-out yeah. donkey. Yeah. Be, yeah. Yeah, that's who's... incredible.
1: So, and apparently, a li- there was a Liverpudlian guy called Sam Wilde who did the same thing And um, when they were nobbing the crowd, which is, <laughs> which, is the, Sorry. which is the name for passing around the hat. You of know, course, get, it is. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they'd say, Oh, we've got to have just one more shilling, ladies
2: and gentlemen. And then up goes the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: is amazing. That's a
2: quick right. thinking performer who's been cheating <laughs> on his wife. I was yeah. nobbing the crowd last night, <laughs> which is when we ran uh, <laughs> around the
3: hat, of course. <laughs> um, amazing that you had one guy who was doing that, and he was obviously so popular that
2: another guy decided yeah. I'm going to do that exact yeah. same, same thing. thing. How hard could it be? It's <laughs> like the guys in Yoda masks, isn't it? It's like a much more impressive version of that. Yeah. Yeah. In Yeah. Square you frequently have three or four guys in Yoda masks.
0: You do. And similarly with them and with this guy you think they just do one little twist, like maybe have a goat, not a donkey. <laughs> maybe have a Gandalf mask, not a yoga mask. Yeah. But
2: Britain's Got Talent would have been amazing back in the old days. It really <laughs> would. If today there was a guy on Britain's Got Talent who had 56 pound weights in either hand and a donkey on a ladder in his teeth, he would win for me the final <laughs> yeah. immediately.
3: But really, you need to kind of div- diversify for the later rounds, don't you? Because you can't just do, you can't just turn up and do the same thing again. Can you?
2: I I've guess, never watched it but I assume they do different things I guess you must and that's the tragedy of Britain's Got Talent because this guy deserves to win forever but you <laughs> could dumb
0: it down so you could start by holding a chair with a cat on it
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so one thing
1: you mentioned a uh, policeman and whistles and I just, oh, yeah. I did wonder when about that what did they use what did we use before whistles right and it yeah. might it might be common knowledge but in yeah. um, the design of the police whistle came in in like eighteen. 18- 83, and it was out of a competition, a guy called Joseph Hudson. Um, but before that, they had hand rattles, the police.
3: Really? <laughs> wreck-a, wreck-a, that's wreck-a, wreck-a, really yeah. good. Like, soccer referees used whistles, but before that, they used to just wave handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And, but that's, he also de- designed the referee whistle. Really? And then he also made something called the Acme
2: Thunderer, which is a P whistle. Oh, I've got... Um, You've got an Acme? My parents have one in the house, an Acme Thunderer. Okay. Yeah, really? Yeah.
3: Is that how they catch you in Czech?
4: <laughs>
2: no, I was too much of a sunflower for that It just waved a handkerchief at me When I was being naughty
3: um, You're not supposed to eat oysters In a month with the letter R Are you? That's an old yeah. Wives right. tale, but it seems kind of Possibly, probably quite true uh, certainly, in the olden days, where shellfish would spoil in the heat because they are months are mostly in the mm. in the summer, uh, but also that usually is a spawning season, so most of their energy goes towards reproduction.
0: Yeah, it's because um, when they go into their spawning seasons in your R months, then they basically turn completely into gonads. They are fully made of <laughs> testicles and ovaries, so all oyster <laughs> tissue transforms when they're spawning into reproductive organs is like all of yourself just turning into a bunch of testicles that's for a incredible. period of time That is
3: quite I mean that would make the dating scene a lot easier wouldn't it because <laughs> you would know if someone was up if for some, it yeah because <laughs> they turned into a testicle
0: <laughs> you still got to make sure you're an attractive enough testicle sure, or ovary but... with a good enough sense of humour
2: <laughs> that's really let's get you into an uber shall we Manhandling a huge testicle into the boot
0: <laughs> okay that's it that's all of our facts thank you so much for listening we'll be back again next week with another four facts and in the meantime you can catch us on our twitter feeds or you can catch these guys on their twitter feeds so James is on at
2: James Harkin Andy's on at Andrew Hunter M
0: Ed is
2: at Fox Tosser
0: (laughs) the look of pain on your face when you knew you had to say it but you made that for yourself
1: I didn't my publisher
4: did Okay, that's fair
0: enough Uh, you can get me on podcast at qi.com and you can listen to all our previous episodes by going to such things fishcom you can go to qi.com slash fish events to get tickets for our tour and also there's loads of information on that no such thing as a fish site on our book and what's your book called Ed?
1: Called the Golden Atlas
0: and you can get that in bookshops presumably everywhere hopefully everywhere <laughs> all over the world it is a beautiful book you should definitely get it as soon as you've got ours obviously or buy them at once and we'll be back again next week see you then goodbye